What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. everybody, this is Gemma, and this evening I have another really dear friend that I'm in awe of, one of my besties now, for a lot of reasons. We have the same opinions about the world, about the country, but she also is an amazing female hero from the Keepers, and we're going to be interviewing our dear friend Lil Hughes Nip. You will remember Lil from the Keepers as Joseph Maskell's student secretary. So, Lil, welcome to the program. Thank you, Gemma. So, Lil, thank you definitely for being on. We had a discussion in our podcast discussion group on Facebook, and it seemed like you were the person that everyone wants to hear from. Gemma just mentioned how you both are the same person, but are you both also redheaded? Yeah, mine. <laughs> All right. Mine comes out of a box. Thank you very much. <laughs> the secret. Well, mine comes out of a box now, too, but oh, stop I am it. an original. <laughs> so you all have seen Lil's gorgeous picture from her yearbook. All right, Lil, can you tell us a little bit about your background, specifically about your family and where you grew up? I grew up as one of eight children in a large Irish Catholic family, a middle-class family, we lived in Relay, Arbutus, Catonsville in Maryland. 
my dad was a salesman and my mom was a homemaker. What differentiated my family was that my oldest brother, Mike, was developmentally and physically disabled. And he was that way because he was born on Christmas. My dad was away at the war and my mom was home alone. And she worked at the hospital that she delivered at. She came to the hospital with her contractions very close apart. And her doctor was at a Christmas party and was drunk. And back in those days, the doctor's Mike just died within the last year and he was 75. They used to give women twilight sleep and they also used to cross their legs and sit on them. And so Mike was the pressure of him trying to be born for 16 hours and no other doctor performing the birth caused Mike's school and developmental disabilities. The doctors told my parents that he would never walk or talk and he would likely die before he was 20. And they recommended that my parents send him to Rosewood, which many parents, many people in Maryland know Rosewood as a very heinous institution. My parents didn't do that. And Mike did walk, he did talk, he went to school and he lived to be 75. And he was also the heart of our family. Everything revolved around Mike. So all of us, except for Mike, attended Catholic school grades one through 12. When Keel opened in the 60s, it was close by, it was state-of-the-art, and all my friends planned to attend. So I was thinking this was really going to be a great adventure for me. Do you have sisters that also went to Keo? No, uh, my sister went to IND. Keo did not exist at the time, so she went to IND. I have a younger sister, and she did go to Keo. Okay. I know you're a couple years younger than I am. But Keo was still a new school when you went there. What were some of your expectations about going to a new high school in the archdiocese? Yeah, I thought I was an artist at the time. And so I was really excited about their art program. And I was always a really good student and a very motivated person. So I was really looking forward to this brand new great school that was there. And of course, it was right next door to the boys' school. And I had a boyfriend that went, I was really super psyched to be going to a place that was so well thought of and was so close by. I really looked forward to it. And so when my freshman year, I was the freshman, one of the freshmen, whatever the homeschool, the Mm -hmm. school leaders were in the freshman year, each one. And so that Mm -hmm. was a good experience. And what year did you graduate? I graduated in 71. Okay, so you were just a year behind me. Okay. Yeah, I didn't think there was that much space. <laughs> when and how did you meet Father Master? I had never met him before, but seen him around the corners of the dances. He was always lurking at the edges with a scowl on his face, but we had no contact. And then one day when I was a sophomore, I got a call to the office. And when I went there, they said, Father Master wants to see you. And so I went to his office. He told me that. He had been asking faculty and staff for recommendations for a special position that he had and that they had recommended me. The position was that of a confidential secretary. That person would be taking dictation and typing case notes on counseling sessions that he had with students who were also my peers. Maskell was the school psychologist and also the chaplain. He emphasized the secrecy of the work 
how trustworthy the person must be that had the position. And that person couldn't share what went on with anyone else outside of his office. I already had two jobs. I worked in a bingo hall and I worked in a dry cleaners. And my main goal was to get a car because having eight siblings, there was no way that I was going to ever be able to have any time in either of my parents' car. So I said yes immediately because I was really excited about it, even though I had no idea who I would be working with. I'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit more about the job that he offered you. But first of all, what do you think he said to the teachers? What do you kind of characteristics do you think he articulated that caused teachers on the faculty to recommend you? I, I don't really know as well as I do that the, I was taking a dual track, although I don't know by sophomore year whether you were really doing that or not. I was typing and taking dictation and I was 16. And so the confidentiality was the thing that he kept stressing time and time again, this secrecy. In our ongoing journey, dissecting real-life mysteries, I've found a perfect companion in a game that not only captivates, but also lets me step into the shoes of a detective in the glamorous 1920s, June's Journey. As someone who's delved deep into the game, playing through the intriguing scenarios of June Parker, I can personally vouch for its immersive experience. In June's Journey, you unravel the mystery of June Parker's sister's murder. Each scene is a visual and intellectual puzzle, with hidden clues scattered across beautifully crafted locations. What I've enjoyed most is the depths of the storyline. Each chapter peels back a layer of this thrilling narrative, revealing danger, mystery, and romance. Besides the allure of solving mysteries, the game lets you design and customize your own luxurious estate island. Building my estate has been a delightful escape, offering a creative break from the intense narratives we tackle on the podcast. For those of you who enjoy the blend of history, mystery, and narrative depth we explore on this podcast, June's Journey offers a chance to live out those elements in a beautifully interactive setting. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android, and join me in this ongoing quest to uncover hidden truths and solve complex mysteries. Everything about not, and that kind of blew me away, but also made me feel very special. And as a person that had eight siblings, you don't get a lot of opportunity to feel special, especially with a special needs brother, because all of the attention of our parents was towards my brother. So that really intrigued me because I thought I was going to find out some juicy things, which I did. And, but I guess those were the kinds of things. Could she be trusted? Would she, is she the kind of person that is frivolous or giggly? And I never was. I wasn't a girl that was with the popular girls. I was a pretty serious student and not one for, for getting into any trouble or to just goofing off or anything. Mm -hmm. I think that was the thing that I guess they, they, what I said I would do. And so they weren't looking for anybody that would gab about what was going on in there. But you don't mind me asking, were both of your parents living and were they, I know you had a lot of brothers and sisters, but were they able to be involved at all in school? There was not a lot of involvement in school and I was extremely independent. I never asked for help and I never asked for anybody to get involved in my stuff. I think what my what made all of my brothers and sisters are very successful 
And I think why is because we saw how much our parents struggled with their brother. It was so hard for them to get services for him. They were among the founding members of BARC, which is the Baltimore Mm. Association of Retarded Citizens. There just wasn't anything for Mike at that time. And just to get him services so that he could walk and things like that, they spend all of their energy on that. So we were good kids just because to be bad would be to put more on them. And we didn't want to do that. And so it was our little, we all understood that we couldn't put more stuff on our parents because they had so much and they were great parents. They were really Mm -hmm. good parents. But you looked at how much they struggled in the day to day just taking care of Mike. And we saw that all the time because we were there and looked at Mike and Mike had to struggle all the time that we wouldn't do anything that would increase their life and put more on them. So all of us were extremely independent and just did for ourselves as opposed to Mm -hmm. kids that had either smaller families or parents that didn't have as big a burden as they did. So my parents weren't really involved in school and we never gave them any reason to be because we were just so Mm self-sufficient. It seems like Masco knew everything about everybody, like their family issues or non-issues. To be, I worked at a school, a private school, and you have access to a lot of information. And Mm -hmm. given that, even though he was a chaplain and he was a counselor as Gemma, he acted more like he was the principal, like he was in charge. And so while all those charts and all your files should be confidential. I feel very strongly like he knew everything was in all of those files. I think that one of the reasons why Jean and May were targeted is because we did come from such large family. And that means that the parents weren't watching as closely as other families mm-hmm. were. And so um, I, it made it easier for him. Um, and I'm sure he knew that if you were working two other jobs to get a car, that you were diligent. Yeah. And that you were independent. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask you about the job, but only tell us as much as you're comfortable with. Tell Mm -hmm. us like what happened the first day you were on the job. Did you do it in his office? Were you at a a typewriter, computer? What what exactly happened? Yeah, we, there was no computers those days. That was in the 60s. And so he would dictate and I would take shorthand and then I would transcribe it into written notes. The content became, as we moved along, it became, it was often sexual in nature. The students were experiencing some kind of sexual issue. There was incest, venereal disease, promiscuity, even bestiality, group sex, you name it. And I'm, here he is sitting across, he's got a desk in between the two of us facing him. He's looking at me the entire time. I'm taking shorthand, but I'm going to be this supreme professional and act as if this isn't just like blowing my lid off because Mm -hmm. as a 16 year old, I have no experience with any of this. And so it took everything I had to act, uh, to not respond negatively to what he was saying. And so this was pretty much the way that it went. There was Sometimes that it was just a normal depressed student or something, but more often than not, there was something sexual in nature going on. And then he would say sometimes that he would have to take the student to a gynecologist, and that was Dr. Richter, Dr. Christian Richter, because the girl was too frightened to tell her parents or because the parent was the one abusing them. 
And so it was never included in anything that he dictated, that he communicated to the parents what was going on. That was never part of in, included in that. During the matter, all of that time that I would sit and he had a typewriter there and I would sit and I would type. And then after that, at the end of each session, then he would talk to me and he would flatter me and he would make me feel very special. Like I was just the most fascinating, intelligent young in the world. And as if we were two adults talking to one another. And as time went on, the conversations got more pressing and they became more personal. And he wanted to know about my boyfriend and my sex life and my relationship with my father and my family. And then he would cast innuendo about father. My boyfriend was 100% Irish. My father is 100% Irish. So he said that I wanted to have sex with my father because I had a boyfriend who was red-haired and my father was red-haired and they were both Irish. So certainly this meant that I wanted to have sex with my father. And of course, then I would protest and we'd go back and forth and have this very challenging back and forth thing. Then he did ink block test and then he wanted to hypnotize me. I was being the arrogant little thing I was. You can't hypnotize me. You can't hypnotize me. And he goes, oh, I'm sure I can. And uh, so we go back and forth and I'm sure he did, but to me, Mm -hmm. thinking that I'm that smart, it went through that whole thing. After a while, I remember the early times of our relationship for the first probably six weeks, and then he started giving me Cokes, and the Cokes were in a paper cup, and he would get them from his refrigerator and never give me a Coke in a can. He would always give me a Coke, some Coke in a paper cup. And that was a big deal to me because being in such a big family, we only had brandless food, cheap food. (laughs) That was really cool to have a coat. And but Mm -hmm. then I, in retrospect, it didn't, it did not hit me while I was going through it. But later it hit me that I had no memories of those events when I would get the coat, that there was nothing. I couldn't remember what had transpired when we were in those sessions when I was getting the coat. But everything that he uh, talked to me about and the way that he praised me and everything that was, uh, it was all classic grooming techniques. But I, for someone that child that didn't really receive much attention at home by virtue of how many kids there were there, then it was very effective and it was pretty memorable. The Cokes, I have very few memories of what transpired in the office by virtue of the Cokes, but I do remember being in the car and being transported to Dr. Richter's office. And also, I imagine it's Dr. Richter's because I know it is, a, I'm going somewhere and then I get to a gynecologist. So I am definitely in a gynecologist's office. I'm in the car and sometimes I'm with, I have a um, winter coat on and other times I do not, but I am stupefied because there's nothing, I'm not looking at him, I'm not talking to him, I'm not looking out the window. My head is, on my hands, my eyes are on my hands, which are in my lap, and they're unmoving. So I'm just staring straight at my hands on the couple of occasions that I can remember doing that, but everything is a haze, and I do not look at him or anything else. And then when I am in the gynecologist's office, then I am on the table, and I am my feet are in the stirrups, my skirt is up, and I am looking at myself from up above. 
looking down on myself. And sometimes there are about a dozen men and other times there are like four or five men. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How's your social battery holding up? Mine's been draining lately, consumed by the darkness of true crime tales. But amidst the shadows, it's crucial to remember to prioritize our mental well-being. Just like unraveling a twisted plot, therapy helps me untangle the knots in my mind. It's about gaining clarity, finding strength, and reclaiming control over your life. Considering therapy, BetterHelp offers a lifeline in the darkness. It's completely online, giving you the freedom to seek help in your own terms. And with a simple questionnaire, you can be matched with a licensed therapist who understands your unique struggles. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com foul today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash foul, F-O-U-L. Looking for a new way to unwind after a long day? Say hello to Recess Mood, a healthier alternative that keeps your evenings light and your spirit high. With Recess Mood, you get the pleasure without the guilt. Made with real fruit and infused with mood-lifting magnesium, and stress-balancing adaptogens. Recess Mood lets you relax without alcohol or hangovers. It's just 20 calories per can, has no added sugar, and comes in four delightful flavors like strawberry rose and raspberry lemon. I've tried these myself, and whether I'm chilling at home or need a moment during downtime chaos, Recess Mood is my go-to refreshment. It's truly a guilt-free way to unwind. And now there's something special for all our listeners. You deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash Shane and get 15% off Recess Mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And I think they're men, but I don't know that they're men. I just think that they're men. And they're all in dark clothing. And they could be uniforms or they could be clerical robes, but they're all darkly clothed. And they seem to be different times because of the variation in where they are, the men are placed and, um, and how many there are. And so that's always been a very consistent memory, but I never could figure out where it came from or why I was having it. And, and so I just thought, hey, you're not, where is this? Where could it ever possibly come from? Because I never connected with anyone else at school to verify anything. Even though Jean and I were friends, there was no connection between her and I as to what anything was happening. I had no conscious memories of him doing anything to me uh, that that I could remember until the very last day of school. And Mm -hmm. the very last day of school, I am out. And as you jam on the last day of school, everybody gets wild and Mm -hmm. everybody starts hooting, hollering, and they start writing all over their blouses and shoes and stuff like that. And 
So I'm doing all of that. And then I get a call to the office and they tell me to go see uh, Father Matthew. And so I go there and he's in front of the desk. And I've never seen him in front of the desk. He's always been behind the desk. And he gives me a bonus check and I take it. And then he starts crying and starts saying the loneliness of the priesthood. You can never have anyone on and then saying that he loves me. And then he grabs me and gropes me, puts his hand on my breast and he starts kissing me. And the one thing that five brothers is good for is fighting back. And so I hit him and I get away from him, but not before scratching his face and running out of there. So that's the last exchange I ever had with him. That was my last day of school. You have to tell us what happened when you got called up on the altar, on the stage to accept an award. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. So, just, it, it's perfect. Yeah. And so, the, so then, I guess it's a couple of days later, that's usually not long after that the graduation occurs, and that he gave me a special award for school service or something like that. And then I go up and he gives me the award and there's that scratch on his face. So it was just a very surreal experience. And not only that, but then I went, I had been in a committed relationship for three years in high school and my boyfriend broke up with me right before graduation. And he was, had fallen in love with another girl in my senior class. And so I go out with my girlfriend to parties, graduation parties. And I have not been out and about forever because I've only been with my boyfriend. And so the, the teachers in my, uh, my high school male teachers are in at these parties and they're making out with my girl, my class at these parties. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? And not only did I just have this with this priest, but now these guys that I've had for class are there making out with my classmates. And so the world was truly turned upside down for me. I just didn't have any idea what was going on. And uh, it just started me down a path, all of that, into just complete chaos for a very long time. Well, I know Shane has some follow-up questions too, but I, sure. can I ask you to go back to the job that he gave you? Do you remember sure. how often, like in a typical week, you would have been in his office and did that mean you'd have to skip class? Yes, it did mean I get to step, skip class. I worked at the bingo hall two, to, two nights a week and then I worked at the dry cleaner once a week and I think I worked for him mostly about, it was set up originally for two times a week, but then he would call me out of class. So he could call me out of class at any time and I could get out of any test and anything by virtue mm -hmm. of his say-so. Right. So all of a sudden, and, my name could come over the loudspeaker, and I was summoned to his, for what, just to give dictation? Mm -hmm. I didn't think anything of it, and I can't believe I was such a stupid girl. But, was well, I mean, I feel stupid now. Yeah. Was any of it after school? Yes. So okay. It was originally set up to be after school. So at home. Late bus. Okay. When he was dictating these reports to you, or whatever they were, was he just like talking off the top of his head or was he looking at notes and did he talk? Did he give girls names? Yeah, they gave girls names. I don't remember whether he was talk, talking off the top of his head or not because my head was on the uh, shorthand pad. So I'm looking down at my shorthand pad and not really at, at what he's doing. But every time mm -hmm. I look up, he's looking at me. That so I do know that. Yeah. 
incredulous for you to be hearing things about people that you knew that were going to school there. That was what the most, the weirdest thing was. And then my mother met him at some point in time and she was really rattled. And she said, I don't like him. I don't like the way he looks at you. I don't want you working for him anymore. And I got really upset with her. And I said, I can't believe you're, you think that, oh, that's just so wrong and everything. And I refused to stop working for him. So she and I got into a terrible fight over it, but she was not wrong. But the one time she met him, she really disliked him. But that didn't stop me. And you were so, determined to get that car. I was determined and I did get that. <laughs> yeah, of course. Moms know. <laughs> Moms have insight, right? They do. Yeah. Yeah. But my mom yeah. and I, we were, we, we, we conflicted a lot, but she was often right on the money. So did you ever tell her what was going on at school? Went to the doctor and he died very early. I didn't get to tell her. And I have an extremely Catholic family and I honestly did not think anybody would believe me. Everything was so vague. And there was no one to corroborate anything. And I really didn't think they would believe me. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.